This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and are an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it's the best way to get to really know the guests. This week's guest comes from us um, probably with a much better voice than I do. He probably has the ultimate radio voice or the announcer's voice. Um, his name is Steve Fleck, and he's one of the leading professional endurance sports race slash event announcers and commentators in North America. Each year, he is on the microphone at over 30 running, cycling, and triathlon races and events across the continent. And his entire working life has been spent in and around the world of endurance sports with roles in retail, sales, marketing, media, communications, and events. Additionally, he has his bachelor's degree in human physiology and biochemistry, so he can walk the walk and talk the talk. And he lives in Aurora, Ontario with his wife and their dog, Gravy. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Ken, great to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me on. I know we've been trying to hook up here and it's sort of been crazy from both worlds, but you're, you're at over 30 events a year. Tell us a little bit about how you pull that off, but more importantly, tell us who Steve Fleck is. We'll start with the, uh, with the, with the, just the embellishments on the bio. Uh, thank you for that uh, intro. Uh, indeed, I've, I've been a lifelong sort of endurance sports athlete. Ken, I got into uh, middle distance, long distance running when I was in my mid teens and, uh, experienced moderate amount of success at um, at that in my high school years, first couple of years of college, and then I got swept up in that initial very early kind of pioneering wave of the sport of triathlon in the early 1980s, and that was that was it for me. I was full on with the triathlon for 15 uh, plus years, uh, raced in many of the sort of the bigger races in Canada at the time. Even some of the ones down in the U.S. Uh, Northeast uh, raced at the Ironman World Championships twice, um, and then uh, then kind of stepped away from it. Um, work was just sort of piling up. Uh, I was working for Segoy, the uh, apparel manufacturer at the time. I got a big promotion, and my son was born. And training for triathlon at the level I was at, which is really kind of sub elite, um, not really full on pro, but uh, you know I was I was doing pretty good. Uh, it was just a lot of time and uh, my son was born big promotion at work and I just decided to kind of almost cold turkey step away from it but I kept running uh, I kept cycling you know when I can and I've been active my whole uh, my whole life uh, the race and event announcing you know came about it was the classic kind of hobby I did on the side and was abruptly uh, let go from my last full-time uh, job that wasn't at Segoy. I was working uh, in for one of the online event registration companies five, six years ago, there was the company was sold and they cut a, a bunch of staff uh, off and uh, I was one of them. And I just took the hobby and blew up the hobby and went from just doing a handful of races a year on the side, uh, you know, maybe seven or eight to doing 30 plus, you know, in, in a calendar year and, uh, you know, adding to it every year. And it sort of peaked out in the last, two or three years at about 30, 35 uh, races and events uh, all across North America. Wow, that's amazing. And so you, tur you turned the ultimate side gig into your full-time job. How, you know, how was it making that transition? I know a lot of people, it sounds like you were sort of had to do it or you had an opportunity to you know, say, hey, if I'm going to do it, the time is now. But how was it making that transition? 
Well, for me, it was really helpful to have a background in sales. Ken, I, I had been a sort of a career sales person, mostly selling media and marketing, uh, you know, properties, a bit on, as I mentioned, on the apparel side when I was working at Segoy, and then lastly, uh, in the online event registration world. So having that background in sales is really helpful. Um, you just keep going. <laughs> you know, you get a lot of no's and uh, even, you know, even when you think your product or your service is great and amazing, you know, there's still 20 people a week that say no to you or no thank you. So you just keep going until you find the right fit and the right people that are saying yes. So that, that was really helpful. Um, and the other was, you know, I've got an endurance sports, you know, mindset to this and that, you know, the, the gains come, you know, over the long term. Yeah, we're going to get some wins. We're going to get some setbacks. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be tough days, and but the the real the real work is finding the work. I love you know being on the microphone and announcing. That's it, it's a bit like a band, you know, performing you know at at a nightclub. That's that's the peak for them. Finding the gig is the hard part, um, and I love just you know being on the microphone at a race or event, and adding you know value to it, making it a great experience. Endurance sports events these days, be they running, cycling, or triathlon, the top 10 or 15% of the race are very too uh, pretty serious about what they're doing. And the rest of the field are just there to have a great time and have a great experience. And the announcer is that main connection between the race and the event on race and event day uh, with the participants, with the spectators, with the sponsors, with the other stakeholders. So on sort of race and event day, I feel the announcer is playing a pretty potent and powerful role in all of that sort of connection. And I really enjoy doing that. No, I know personally from racing, you know, all different types of endurance races and, you know, bike races and running races. That's a key is having a great announcer, right? It gets everyone energized. It gets everyone super excited. I was just up at the World Cup, Killington World Cup um, ski race and a fellow who's been on the podcast, Doug Lewis is doing the announcing and he gets, he just gets the crowd so energized, right? It's a, it's a sport where you're watching one person <laughs> one at a time every 90 seconds come down and it, you, know, you keep it lively. It would be boring as hell without not having that commentating. I know when I watch, you know, live sports or live ski racing on TV and there's no, no commentating, it's like a completely different sport. Yeah, I, I don't know, Doug, but I, I mean, part of it is probably he knows ski racing. He knows the minutiae of ski racing. He, he's he's sort of inside the head of the, the racers that are coming down the hill. He knows every move they need to make or, or, or not make uh, when they are making a mistake, when they're not making a mistake. So he can convey that information to the audience. So part of what I feel, you know, makes me a good announcer and where I add value is having that deep knowledge, you know, of the endurance sports running, cycling, triathlon, all of which I've grown up and around and been able to experience, uh, you know, competing, you know, myself at an elite level, um, but also knowing, you know, the, the personalities, uh, you know, how to train, what's going through their head when they're in a race, that sort of thing. So part of it is conveying that information and having that and that knowledge and the enthusiasm and the passion. I mean, if someone's not passionate about it, I'm sure Doug is really passionate about skiing. I'm super passionate about you know, running, cycling, and triathlon, and hopefully that's conveyed to the the people that are live, you know, on site, or you know, when I'm doing live stream commentary, and that's a sort of a subcategory for me that's growing right now. There's a big need for knowledgeable commentators to live stream commentary. So I've been doing quite a bit of work the last few years in track and field, 
and and cycling, both uh, on the road, cyclocross, and uh, road racing as well. Wow, no, that's amazing. And no, and, and and having that passion and having that knowledge and having the ability to really talk the talk and walk the walk is huge. Let's step back a little bit. You were talking about your racing to the sub elite level. I know many of our listeners race at you know, sort of the weekend warriors, but also a number of them are at the sub elite level. And talk to us about training then and, and, and working full time and, and having a kid. How did you pull it off? How was the time management? How did, you know, all those pieces of the puzzle to, you know, continue that success? Keep in mind, this was 1980s, late mid to late 1980s, early 1990s. And back then, I'll be honest with you, we had no idea what we were doing. There wasn't the internet. Triathlon was still new. It was kind of cobble everything together. We essentially, we swam with the swimmers. So we swam with a you know, local swim club. We rode with the local cycling club. And we ran either with a local running club or amongst ourselves, you know, as, as triathletes. And we kind of cobbled it all together. And it was really just about throwing stuff up against the wall and seeing what worked. There was no training books. There were no coaches. Um, it was a lot of experimentation. It was a lot of suffering uh, and figuring out, you know, how far you can push yourself. And certainly when you get to sort of, you know, the Iron Man sort of thing, that's distinctly doing Ironman Hawaii for the first time back then in 1989, you can qualify for, for Kona uh, at a half Ironman distance event and, and go straight there. You didn't have to do a full Ironman. So I remember being there and that was the longest day I'd ever had in my life. Um, you know, just over nine hours. And it was, it was, it was extraordinary. I got to the finish line. I go, can I stop now? <laughs> Cause I'm, I'm kind of done, you know, done with it all. Um, it was, it was a lot of experimentation and just finding out, you know, how far we could push ourselves. The technology that people have today at their disposal is extraordinary. I don't know if we would have loved to have all that back then. I'm still of the belief that I think the technology kind of holds people back and we tended to just sort of go for it more. I think that's a big, you know, exactly. I, I'm a big fan. I've been, and I still race and compete and I still train by feel because sometimes you're not producing the same wattage you should be or your heart rate's here and you want it there and vice versa versus, hey, let's just train, you know, let's train by feel. Let's be aware of our bodies and our minds and sort of what's working and what's not working at that time as well, right? I think, again, technology's is great, but it can also be a hindrance as well. And like you said, sometimes you just got to let it rip and <laughs> take off, you know, rip the bandaid off and just go for it. Right. And you know, your, your power meter, your heart rate monitor, is it going to say that you're in the right space or that you're in the right zone? Um, you know, mentally, spiritually, or emotionally, right. You know, that's a whole other component to, to racing versus just the, the physical piece. I think for the newcomer, Ken, it, it's very helpful because then, they know what 150 watts is or, you know, what 150 heart rate feels like for them and they can have the zones, but the zones and all that stuff is, is the heart, the, the power meter is a little bit more, you know, exact in terms of what it's doing. Heart rate, as you know, there's more variables involved with that, but still for the beginner, the person in the first couple of years of, of training, be it, you know, running, cycling or triathlon, individually or collectively in the, in the context of triathlon, I think the, the, the technology is helpful because then they, they get a quicker sense of what 
what hard is, what easy is, what really hard is. And they can see that. They can see that that number. But then once you get to a certain level of fitness and things start to plateau out and flatten out, I think that's when you start to become more tuned in or you need to start to become more tuned in to perceived exertion and exactly what it feels like to be going at 150 watts and not know know exactly that it's 150 watts. No, I like that. No, that makes sense, right? It's it's uh it gives you that comfort zone to understand, you know, where each piece, you know, each piece of your physiology phys, uh, physiology lies. So let's switch gears to your, you know, to being an announcer, right? That that's an art form. That's something that is not easy. How did you, you know, how did you number one get into it? And number two, how did you, you know, continue to tweak the art? I was really lucky in that I, I was exposed to some really good announcers early on. Uh, Steve King, who's the legendary announcer at, at Ironman Canada uh, in Penticton. Uh, I worked alongside Steve for a number of years in Penticton, so kind of um, you know got used to his style. And, and his style is massive amounts of uh, minute detail and information about as many athletes as he can as he can find. It was it was shocking. You know how much information that Steve would collect, you know, on certain athletes. I also got to listen to and and work a little bit on side uh, and beside Mike Riley, uh, the voice of Iron Man. I mean, Mike, Mike is a great mentor of mine and uh, a good fan, friend, sort of in the business. And I was able to listen to him and his style, and then listen to other announcers. You know, either be they commentators on 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 TV, like covering live sports, um, and then going to other events. You know, going to other completely different events, like uh, the ski race announcer you were um, referring to earlier, and and seeing what they do, and then trying to cobble all of that together and come up with my own, you know, my own style about you know what does Steve Fleck deliver, you know, at a race, and that's different than than what Mike Riley does, and it's different than what Steve King does, and it's different than what some other uh, announcer does, and unless I have, you know, I'm I'm some of the bigger events, the, the sort of the more corporate events, shall we say, like when I'm working a World Cup, like level, you know, cycling event, uh, you're actually pretty constrained about what you can do and, and can't do. Whereas like the local, you know, 5K or the, you know, the criterium, you know, bike race, you can do anything really. Um, so you, you, you have to sort of have your own style, but some, you also have to adapt to the event, you know, itself. Um, another tip I learned, um, don't, <laughs> a lot of announcers, they make this big mistake of the minute they go on the microphone at seven o'clock in the morning, they're, they're, they're already at 11, right? <laughs> like you don't want to be that way because you're going to burn out and people will tune you out too. If you're too like explosive, crazy and wild and talking all the time, um, they, they kind of tune you out. They zone you out. You just become background noise. So you have to, the terminology we use in the business is just let it breathe occasionally or a bit and you don't say anything. And then you come back with, you know, an anecdote or a funny comment or talk about an athlete who's, you know, coming into transition or coming across the finish line. So you keep it, you keep it lively. You have your own sense of style and, and always with the passion and enthusiasm. Right. Well, and also, 
the ability to think on your feet as well, right? To compartmentalize of what you're in now, yeah. but where you're going to go and where is this going to lead? That's a that's an art form in of itself. A lot of it is ad libbing. Um, you're live for the most part from you know when you show up on race site to when the last finisher comes across the finish line. I mean, there's a general sort of 30,000 foot script to the day, you know, you show up and then it's sponsor shout outs and uh, formalities. You know, you introduce the, uh, the man or the woman who's going to sing the national anthem. You introduce some VIPs, you get them on the microphone. They'll say their little words. You thank them. Uh, the big countdown for the start. Then, you know, people go off. Now, if it's a grand fondo or, or a marathon or some of the longer triathlons, then you've got some downtime. There is actually, you know, there might be uh, several hours where there's nothing going on, not in a triathlon because they're coming in and out of uh, transition, but certainly in a grand fondo or a century sportif, century ride sportif, something like that, you've got some downtime. And then once, you know, people start coming in across the finish line, then it's all about celebrating at the, at, at the finish line and going through all the way to, you know, the final finisher, I'm really big on celebrating like every finisher as much as I can. Obviously in a 5k race, when there's, you know, you got 10,000 people in a 5k, you can't call out everyone's name. And we have computer technology and help now when they cross a sensor 50 to hundred meters out. No, we don't know everyone in the race by their first name. Uh, we're getting some help usually some data coming in. So we'll know people's name, but you can't do that in a 5k In a marathon. They're coming in more at a pace where you can, you know, identify the athlete and, you know, call them out, get their name, talk about maybe what they're wearing. If they're wearing a funny costume in a marathon, if they're, they're wearing the captain America uh, outfit, you make a big deal about that. And then of course the, the final finisher, I'm really big on, you know, bringing the final finisher in with a big fanfare as much as I can. And, my favorite story about that, I, I, I even get emotional when I when I tell the story, Ken, so I apologize. No, definitely. It's awesome. Getting that way. But a couple of years ago, I was working at a, at a large uh, half iron distance triathlon. It's the Barrelman Triathlon put on by Multisport Canada. And we had the, the final finisher coming in. It's a thousand person half iron distance race. It's the largest non-branded Ironman half iron distance race in North America. It takes place in Niagara Falls, uh, Ontario. And so the final finisher is coming in and everyone's gone home. Like we've done the awards, you know, every, everyone else had left. There's five people left in the park and the race staff, like that's it. And she's coming in and I, I have a mobile microphone and I go out and I, I meet her about a hundred meters out from the finish line and I get her five friends and, and the, the bunch of us run into the finish line all together and I'm calling out her name as we approach the finish line, we've got the music going. It's a big fanfare. We're making it a big deal for her. And she gets across the finish line. There's tears running down her face. And she gives me a big hug. And she whispers in my ear. And she goes, thank you so much. This is the best day of my life. And that's the moment. That's, that's the moment in this business, this sort of endurance sports events business. It's all about the experience that we're all living for. That one moment right there when someone says, this is the best day of my life. You just go, I, I, I've kind of got my, the hairs on the back of my neck are kind of standing up right now. because it's, it's amazing when that happens. Well, and so many people, you know, just like you're saying, it's that this is their gold medal, right? And that's their, you yeah. know, that they've been striving to do is to try to complete a half Ironman or an Ironman or a 5k or whatever, whatever it is, because everyone has a story. There's always, a, you know, 
is it a struggle to, you know, for them to, to finish that? And even for the, even for the winners, right? They all have stories of why they're the fastest, you know, that type of stuff. And, and that's, what's great about endurance sports is really every, most people have a story involved with their endeavor of what they're going after. It's either to lose weight, to feel better, to run for someone to, you know, or to see how fast you can possibly, you know, you can go humanly go. And that's, that's what I love about it. I think that's what's super cool about endurance sports and the camaraderie and the people that you get to meet because we're all living that same dash between when we're born and when, <laughs> and when we die. Right. But I think we're all on different paths and, and how do those paths work together and how do they coincide? And, and I think what you said right there, I think that probably really solidifies why you do what you do. Absolutely. The, the stories, I don't know what the stories are. As you said, everyone's got a story, whether it's the person winning the race, whether it's the person who should have won the race and was having the worst race of their life or the final finisher or someone in the middle of the field who, you know, two years ago was 60 pounds heavier and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day or has battled back from cancer. You know, the stories just go on and on. Um, but when I can get into them and I know a bit more about the story, it makes it even more, you know, even more special. And I did find out that that, you know, that woman had, who finished, I found this out after the fact, you know, at that triathlon that, you know, two years ago, she was, you know, not really doing anything and was, you know, uh, quite a bit overweight um, and completely inactive. And it was a challenge that uh, her daughter had sort of made to her that, you know, mom, you need to get more active. And she said, well, I'm going to do a half, you know, iron distance triathlon. And uh, two years later, she finished it. And, uh, you know, that was the best, you know, day of her life, a culmination of two years of a lot of work and a lot of determination to get to get to that uh, finish line. And that's amazing, right? And I think, and that's what you, that's what you do. You're a master storyteller, right? You're telling stories for all of these people coming across the line, even if you know them or don't know them, but you're, you're heightening the story. What do you think are, um, you know, the keys to success for being an event announcer or a, you know, a sort of an MC, that type of stuff? Because again, like I was saying earlier, that takes talent. You know, how, how does one differentiate themselves from others? I think having a good voice and I'm, I, you know, my voice sounds like my voice. I don't know, but I, I'm told I have a good voice. I've got one of those voices that's, you know, good for radio. And I think that that's a prerequisite. Uh, you do have to have uh, strong vocal cords because it's long, it's long days. You've got to do this for four, five, six, seven, you know, eight hours, you know, at a stretch. So you have to have strong vocal cords. As I mentioned earlier, I, I think it's really helpful to have deep knowledge, you know, of the sport that you're, you're working at. Um, as I said, my three are, you know, I, I feel very comfortable, you know, in running, cycling, and triathlon. I know all the terminology. I know what the training is involved, uh, whether you're at the front of the pack or the back of the pack. I've raced in a lot of these races myself, so I, and, and at a high level, so I know the psychology of of what's going on inside, you know, athletes' heads. That's that's uh, helpful as well. Having intimate knowledge about the particular event, and this is builds up familiarity, you know, over the course of, of a number of years is good as well, because that cements you in that, that sort of micro community of the event. So you, you know, when I always go to a first year event, 
I feel comfortable as I always do, but I'm also feeling a little awkward too, because, you know, I, I don't know who these people are. Um, they're kind of strangers. Um, who's going to be singing the national anthem? I don't know this woman. I know she'll do a great job, but there, there's all these uncertainties. Whereas if you come back second, third, fourth year, then there's all that, that becomes more familiar and all the athletes know, know who you are. And there's an expectation that, you know, the announcer is going to be back again, that, you know, Steve's going to be on, on the microphone or Mike Riley is going to be at the finish at, you know, the Ironman world championships. I mean, that becomes an expectation. And, and so that's, that's helpful as well. So those are the, you know, three or four, I would say key, you know, key things that I think make, you know, make a great, you know, endurance sports uh, race and event announcer. No, perfect. Perfect. What's your favorite race that you've announced? Oh, it's really hard. I get that um, question often, Ken, and I do such a range, you know, I do high level sort of track and field, you know, world cup level, you know, cycling events. I'm going to be doing the, um, uh, the track cycling world cup uh, in January up in, in, in Toronto. So these, these are the best athletes in the world uh, who are competing, um, you know, right. You know, then I'm doing charity, you know, 5k runs. So it's a big range. Um, I love doing the, the high level, very competitive stuff when you are truly announcing or doing the live stream commentary on world-class competitors. That's very exciting because they are, they always deliver, you know, at that level, they, the race is exciting. They're known names in the sport. It's an honor to sort of, you know, call out their name, you know, at the finish line or as the race unfolds and then they end up winning it. So I love doing that. Um, as it, but as I said, I, I love bringing the final finisher across the finish line. But I'll tell you the most emotional I ever was, was I worked, I worked at the Invictus Games. We hosted the Invictus Games in Toronto in 2017. And I was working at the cycling, uh, the cycling venue. And I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Invictus Games, but these were, um, they're sports games, you know, uh, styled after the Olympic Games or the Pan Am Games for um, ex or not ex, they can still be active service men and women who have been injured in uh, the field of war, uh, essentially. And it was Prince Harry founded these, and it's it was using sport as a vehicle to get over uh, the fact that they're injured to help them, you know, feel whole again. And uh, so I worked at the Invictus Games, and I and I was doing uh i got to i got to meet prince harry that was a bonus but oh, yeah. uh the 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 real the real highlight for me was just hearing the emotional stories you know of the athletes and i talked to this one family so i did i i was sort of the roving reporter and i was just in amongst uh the spectators getting stories and i was talking to this one uh, american family they'd never been to canada before they were from somewhere in the south i can't one of the southern states mississippi alabama never been to Canada before. They had to get passports to come up here. Their son had lost both his legs um, in an, um, a roadside bomb explosion in Afghanistan. And in the convoy, there just so happened to be um, a Canadian medical uh, crew just behind. And so they were first on the scene, the medics from Canada, and they essentially saved his life. And he lost both his legs, but he nearly died. But right. it was the Canadian medics that allowed him to live and listening to his father like tell me this story and the tears are running down his face and I'm holding the microphone there and the tears are running down my face and I I was just dumbstruck by this 
like listening to this story about this family that traveled all the way from the U.S. South up to Toronto to watch their son compete in the hand cycle event, his first ever hand cycle competition after coming back from having, you know, both his legs blown off and nearly dying in Afghanistan. And it was so powerful and emotional. That's, that's truly one of, you know, my highlights from doing what I do. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing to hear. Like I said, it's, it's hearing those stories is what makes it super exciting. What, you know, talk to us about, you know, your training now and, you know, in being a master's athlete, are you still training? Are you still racing? Talk to us a bit about getting out on your bike and staying healthy and staying fit. Yeah, I think it's really important to stay as active as you can. Uh, can I, I'm, I'm good and bad, you know, at it. Uh, the work, it's a lot of travel. Um, so I have to be sort of creative in terms of, um, you know, what I do, you know, when I am traveling a lot for work. Um, I do ride. Cycling's my thing. I've had some sort of injuries, you know, over the course of time, a bad lower back and a wonky left knee um, that don't bother me really that much when I'm cycling. So I'm grateful and um, happy to be out on my bike anytime. I ride with a great sort of local, you know, cycling club uh, in our town, uh, just up north of Toronto, uh, the New Market Eagles good group of guys and gals that uh, I ride with. My wife is a, a top-level cyclist. She's one of the ma top masters uh, women cyclists in North America, so I have sort of a, a live-in <laughs> training partner. Uh, I can't even keep up with her. Uh, so it's, it's a lot of my inspiration to stay fit is just to keep up with her. Um, but staying active is really important, and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't have a specific training regime or anything to do because I'm not really getting ready for anything. I, I don't put on a bib number anymore because I'm working 35 uh, for, you know, 35 plus weekends a year. When I have an opportunity on an off weekend, when I'm not announcing, I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't really want to go, <laughs> go to a cycling race. I want to just go for a long ride, you know, with my wife or with the guys or on my own and just enjoy it for, for that sake only and not have to sort of be worried about, you know, racing or, or doing anything crazy like that. So I, I think it's important to stay active. I'm, um, I turned 58 this year and I'd say in the last two or three years, you know, the age thing is, is starting to starting to catch up a little bit. I'm noticing little things that, um, um, I didn't notice say five years ago, uh, that takes a long time to recover. Like when you go for a hard ride now, you know, you used to bounce back in, in a couple of days. If I go for one really super hard ride now, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll need to take it super easy for the next three or four days. And it's just an age thing. And I, I've always been, I don't fight it. I don't sort of get freaked out about it. I just say, that's the way it is. I'm nearly 60 years old. So I got to pace myself a little bit, uh, a little bit better. No. And I think that's a big, <laughs> Exactly. It's 68 years old. If that's your biggest gripe from going out and going hard, that's amazing. That's good stuff. 58, 58. Or oh, excuse 68. me, 58. Yeah, yeah. I got you 10 years older. Even then at 68, it'll be even worse, right? But I think that's <laughs> it'll <not> be worse. <laughs> something to look forward to. You know, or by then it'll be genetic doping that all you do is just go change, change a little gene and you can do whatever you want to do at that point. You'll be in the CrossFit Games a year after that. Who knows? That's, <laughs> that's right. What's happening? But staying active. I, you know, I, even if it's just like, you know, I don't, I, just a nice long walk with the dog in the morning and, um, you know, some yoga, you know, some push ups, some sit ups, some core work, 
you know, it's all good. It's like maintenance, you know, it's maintenance stuff. I think it's really important to, to stay on top of that. Right. Right. So this has been amazing. It's been, you know, we're here 33, 34 minutes going into this. And again, I love what you guys do as race announcers. I think it's probably one of the most important pieces of going to a race and, and making an impact of what the people experience, because then it's just boring. Then it's just people coming across the finish line and you don't really know the stories behind the people or the stories behind the event or the stories behind, um, you know, the people putting the event on because that's where, that's where, that's the culmination of years and years of hard work to put these events on and same for the person that's training and same for the people that, you know, that they're raising money for. So it's something that is an integral part. So I want to thank you for, for making these events better and better. Well, thanks, Ken. And, and you know, the, the participants, they, they don't know half of the work and the stuff that goes on sort of behind the scenes. And we don't need to know how our smartphones are put together. But there is a lot of work. I mean, these events and the bigger they are, the more complicated, you know, they become. Um, I just got a little thank you note from a, a 10K race. The race director sent me a thank you note because I got the mayor sort of up on the stage and made a big deal about that and got him to hand out the awards and, you know, got him on the microphone and the note from the race director said, thank you, Steve, because you secured our permits for next year. So <laughs> <laughs> no permits, like no, you know, no event. So it's just the little things like that. Um, again, that an experienced race announcer knows and someone who knows the ins and outs of how the endurance sports race and event business works. And because I've worked in it for so long, I do know like all those, those little minute details, like making sure that local politicians like the local mayor or the councilwoman or the councilman, if they're there, we want to make a big deal out of it. Of course. Oh yeah. Because without, like you said, without the permits, there's no events. And that's really what this whole industry relies on is, is the permits to pull this stuff off. Permits porta potties and police. I call them the three P's. If, if you don't, you, you, at, at a bare minimum, you have to have those sorted out. Right, right. <laughs> so Steve, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about your work? And, you know, hopefully someone said, hey, you know, I want to hire Steve to come work for us. But where can they, where can they find more about Steve Fleck? Uh, LinkedIn uh, for the business community. You can find me on LinkedIn. Twitter, I, you know, I, I, I was in early on Twitter, so I have my own name on Twitter. It's at Steve Fleck. I'm, I'm less on sort of the other sort of social platforms, Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is typically where I ha hang out the most um, and people can find me there. So, yeah, I would say either Twitter um, or LinkedIn is a great spot to, uh, to find me. And Steve, thank you for being part of this. This was awesome, super cool. And thanks for taking your busy time out, you know, of your season to be a part of this. So again, it's, it's, it's something special here. So I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ken. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, um, feel free to reach out to me. I can get you in touch with Steve as well. Uh, my email is kenatexecutiveathletes.com. And, you know, just go out there and make sure you keep on crushing it. Keep on training. It's winter where I am right now. I'm actually outside of Boston. We just got two feet of snow, but you can still go out there and hoof it through the snow. You might not go as fast, but you're going to get a better workout. So make sure you're out there making it happen. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great weekend.